Morning, everybody. How's it going today? Good. You having a good time? Awesome. Good stuff. Okay. Hey, good morning to you guys who are in the family room joining us this morning. Glad to see you guys there. You want to say hi to them, don't you? Awesome. All right, so thanks for being there. Um, You guys in the family room are going to meet a little bit later a guy named Clayton Butler, and you're going to love hearing what he has to say, and I'm going to talk about him maybe a little bit in in our talk here today. So just be ready. He'll come, and you'll meet him, and it'll all be good. Good? I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to them over there. Yeah. All right. All right, so you see how that works. So how many of you have a favorite story? You got to think about it a little bit. You guys don't have any over here? What's, what's your favorite story? Anybody? Little Mermaid. I've got a lot of the Little Mermaid this weekend. Oh, Little Mermaid. Okay. Anybody else? You guys in the family room, what's your favorite story? You're not in the family room. And I can't hear you guys at all, so I don't know. So how about the, Cinderella? Oh, a few Cinderella's, yeah? Some of you not so much? Overtold? I don't know. How about, um, how about Jackie Robinson? Yeah, you know Jackie Robinson's story? Yeah, so it doesn't have to be a fairy tale to be a good story, right? It could be true and a good story. There's one about Jesus like that. It's true and it's a good story, right? I mean, so there's, there's like that. Um, what, I think my favorite story at this point in my life is the story of the prodigal son. And uh, it's a fascinating story. A lot of you, if you've been reading the Bible, you've heard it. Even if you haven't read the Bible, you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal, the word prodigal means extravagant. And we often think the prodigal son, he's prodigal because he went wandering away. So the word prodigal sort of now means wandering. But that's not what it meant. It meant extravagant. So the son that went and extravagantly wasted everything the father gave him, and then he came back. Tim Keller calls that story the, the story of the prodigal God. Not that God wandered away, but God is extravagant in his grace toward us. He's extravagant in his grace toward the younger son. And he's extravagant in his grace toward the older son. And all of us fit into the category, even if you're female, you fit in the category of one of those two characters. And God is extravagant in his grace to us. I love that. So we have stories. Why do you think we end up having favorite stories? Because they're good. Yeah, they're good. Stories are good. So we like them, right? If you want to move someone, tell them a story. If you want to move me, tell me a story. In fact, if you really want to move me, tell me a good story. And it will move me. The reason we have a favorite story is somewhere at some level, that story gripped us and moved us. And maybe because it was funny, maybe because it was sad. might be a lot of different reasons, but somehow a story moves us. And what you'll find when you go through the Bible is God is a storyteller. All the way through the scriptures, the Bible's telling stories. In fact, the Bible primarily is a story book. Sometimes people come to the Bible, they go, oh, it's a self-help book. Read it and you'll help yourself. Maybe, but it's not really what it's all about. Or, or some people go, oh, the Bible is a how-to book. Like it's a spiritual how-to book. If you do this, you read the Bible, you can get you know, spiritually more healthy or something. It's like, well, that's probably true, but it's not what it's really about. Some people look at the Bible and parts of the Bible and they go, oh, it's a scientific journal. It's like, well, that's not really how it was written either. And some people look at it and they go, it's a systematic theology book. Well, no, it's not very systematic at all. It's really a storybook. It's telling you a series of stories that all come together as one big story of God. And God tells us this story because he wants to move us. If you want to move me, 
tell me a story. God goes, that's what I want. I want to move you, and so I'm going to tell you stories. Now, when I say this, the Bible's a storybook. I'm not saying that it's not true, because you can have stories that are true and powerful. You don't have to make one up to have it be powerful, right? So that's God's deal. Now, last week, we started in a new series on the book of Galatians. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in a region in what is now Turkey. In that generation, it was called Galatia. So there were some churches there. Paul actually started them, and he wrote a letter back to them to help them, and he's trying to tell a story. In fact, when you come to the letter of the Galatians, it's actually Paul trying to um, move those people in a certain direction by the story that he tells them in what we call the book of Galatians. There's a book out by a guy named Donald Miller. I've recommended it to you before. I don't know why you haven't all finished reading it yet. But no, I, so there's this great book. It's called um, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it's all about the fact or the idea that you could live a better story. Every one of us has the opportunity to live a better story. God wants to write a better story for you, but you've got to engage it. You've got to jump in on it and go, my story is going to be better because I'm in with what God wants me to be about. And Donald Miller, in that book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, he defines a story like this, which I love. He said, a story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. A story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. If there is no character, there is no story. If there is no want something, if there's no desire or passion, there's no story. If there's no conflict, there's no story. And if there's no overcoming, it's really not a story. And so that's a, I just love that as a definition of what God does for us in the Bible. God is a character who wants something. What does he want? He wants a relationship with us. God is a character who wants a relationship with us, but there's conflict because we walked away from him. And so he overcomes conflict by sending his son Jesus into the world to die for us, to rise again for us, to bring us into a relationship with God. That's the story of the Bible. All the way through the scriptures, that's the story that the Bible is telling. So Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, and he's writing a story for them. It's really a story of the gospel. What he wants for them is Paul wants the Galatians to live by God's grace. Alone. Nothing added. We're calling, this, we're calling this series Faith, No Additives. Nothing added to it. Paul says, I want, you, I want you, Galatians, I want you to understand it's by grace through faith. That's it, nothing else. But there was conflict that came in because there were some people that had come into the churches of Galatia in that region, and they started saying, well, grace is nice. It's really nice if you have God's grace. That's a beautiful thing. And it's really good to have faith. Woohoo! if you have faith, that's really cool. But you've got to add the law to it, too. You've got you to do some good stuff in there. You've got to obey God, of course. Can't just have grace. Can't just live by grace. Paul says, you know what? God sent his son so that you could live your life simply by grace. And he goes, I want to engage you in that story. So for the next few minutes today, I want to tell you a little bit about Paul's story. I want you to hear his story and engage with it. Because as we engage with his story, I think what's going to happen is God's going to draw us into his story. And he's going to shape us and he's going to shape the world through us by that story. He's going to move us. By telling us his story. 
So the story of Paul is interesting. There's a lot of places in the Bible where it's written. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll find that the story of the book of Acts in the New Testament is really the story of Paul. There's other ways to describe it. You could say, well, the book of Acts is about the church and its expansion through the Roman Empire. You could say it's about the gospel going out to all the world or those kinds of things. That would be true. But when you read it, you'll find out it's mostly about Paul. And it's about the things that Paul did in the name of Christ to bring people to faith in Jesus. So if you want to get Paul's story, you can read the book of Acts. Or you could narrow it down a little bit from there and you could say, well, like at least for what we're talking about today in the book of Galatians, you could find that part of the story of Paul in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapters 13 through 15. And if you want to write that down and go, you know, I want to look that up later because sometimes you're reading part of the Bible, you go, I don't get the whole thing. Sometimes it helps if there's background and the background is right in the Bible. So those passages in Acts. Or, and I'm going to read this for you in a minute, or you can go to Galatians chapter 1 and 2. And in those chapters, Paul actually writes his autobiography. You know, biography is when someone else writes about you. Autobiography, when you write your own story, Paul writes it right there for us in Galatians 1 and 2. So we're going to read that in a minute. But then you're going to find at the end of all that, in the end of chapter 2, Paul writes this 41-word story of his life. Galatians 2.20, it's a 41-word story of Paul's life. And just to give you kind of a heads up of where we're heading this morning, I'm going to invite you at the end today to write your 41-word story of faith. Now, that assumes that you have faith in Christ, and some of you don't yet, and you're still on the journey, and God bless you. I'm glad you're here, and that's fine. Don't feel pressure. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to walk you through Paul's story, and then I'm going to invite you to write your 41-word story of faith, and I'll tell you why in a bit. So let's go to Paul's story first. I want, to read, I want to read his story, then tell you his story, so you're going to kind of hear it twice. But let me read for you a long passage in Galatians, from Galatians chapter 1 through about the middle of chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, you can. We've got Bibles on the chair near you, so you can use one of those and follow along. Or it's kind of long, so if you just want to listen to it and kind of feel the story and grasp the story by listening, that's fine as well. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, here's the story of Paul. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. In case some of you, your favorite story is Pinocchio. (laughs) Verse 21. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. That man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. 
Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism, but they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now there's Paul's autobiography. He tells you that's what his life has been like. And you can, you can put more detail in there. There's more detail in the book of Acts in there. But that's his story as he sees it. I want to add some of, some of the story back into that and kind of help us make sure we understand his story. Because his story is designed to move us to live a life of grace. And then I want to help you write your 41-word story of faith. So let me just, let's just cycle back and get a little bit more of a grip on Paul's story. Paul was also called Saul. His Jewish name was Saul. His Roman name was Paul. It's not like his name really got changed at some point. We sometimes think that. It was just one was, one was among the Jews, one was among the Romans. And that's interesting because Paul was born, or Saul was born in a town called Tarsus. He was Tarsusian. Whatever. So Tarsus was a, was, a, was a big city in what is now the southern part of Turkey. It wasn't in Galatia. That was in the middle of Turkey. This was on the seacoast, about, about 14 miles in from the coast, but it was on a navigable river. So they had a seaport in Tarsus. And that's where he grew up. Now, Paul was interesting because he was Roman citizen by birth. His dad was Roman, but his mom was Jewish. And so he was Roman by citizenship, but he was Jewish by heritage. So he didn't really fit in anywhere in Tarsus. He could hang out with the Jews, but they knew he was Roman. He could hang out with the Romans or the Tarsusians, and they thought he was Jewish. So he really didn't fit in anywhere in that, in that culture. Eventually, his parents shipped him to Jerusalem, and there he studied, studied under the famous rabbi named Gamaliel. Even today, Gamaliel's writings and teachings among, among the Jews still has some influence 2,000 years later. He was a very well-known rabbi in that generation, and he was Paul's teacher, and he was a Pharisee. Do you know anything about Pharisees? What do you know? What do you know about Pharisees? Rules, rules, rules. Rule keepers. Any rule keepers here among us? Three? We're all rebels. Yeah, a bunch of rebels what we got in the room, or a bunch of Pinocchios. 
Yeah, except that your nose is not growing, right? But some of us are rule keepers. I, I admit to, I'm a rule keeper. Some of you I know are rule breakers, but I'm a rule keeper. I like, I'm, I, I want to follow the rules and I want to do it right. And what's more, I want you to do it right. And I get ticked off when you don't because I'm a rule keeper. I got rules and I got traditions and I got ways of doing it and I want everyone to do it right. If there were Pharisees in my generation, I would have joined them, which is embarrassing because the Pharisees were always against Jesus. Because they had not only the law of Moses, which they tried to follow, but they had traditions that they had added to the law of Moses, and they didn't like when anybody broke those, and Jesus broke them all the time. And when Paul's given us his autobiography in Galatians, he says, I was very zealous for the traditions of my fathers, because he was a Pharisee. He was a rule keeper. That's his background. Now, Pharisees, because they wanted to keep the rules and Jesus didn't keep the rules, the Pharisees built up this tradition. Even after Jesus died and rose again, they kept up this tradition of having antagonism, not just to Jesus, but to those who followed him. And so Paul was schooled in the process of being opposed to Christ's followers. In fact, when the very first Christian was martyred at the hands of a mob, they stoned him to death. Saul was there, or Paul was there, and he was giving approval to what they did. In fact, they put all their baggage next to Paul, and he watched it while these guys went out and murdered Stephen for being a follower of Jesus. Saul was so passionate about what he was doing to persecute the church of Jesus Christ, the collective followers of Jesus Christ, that he would actually go on mission trips to arrest them. We send people on mission trips to Cambodia to help them, to serve them, to, to help free young girls from prostitution and those kinds of things. They sent, he was on missions, and, they, and the high priest of the Jews sent him on mission trips to arrest Christians. One time he's on a mission trip to arrest Christians, to haul them back to Jerusalem so they could stand trial for not being faithful to the traditions. And on the way toward Damascus, he was blinded by the light before it was ever a song. He was blinded by the light. It's like this... <laughs> This great light shines out, and Paul was blinded, and so they led him by the hand into the city of Damascus to a frightened follower of Jesus named Ananias. Ananias was frightened because he had heard about Saul before, and he knew that Saul had been going around the countryside arresting Christ's followers, leading to some of their deaths. So he's frightened, and they, they led Saul, when he couldn't see, they led him by the hand to Ananias' house, and, and, and Ananias began to tell him the good news about Jesus. Saul was saying, I, I, I heard from Jesus on the road, but I don't, want to, I don't know what he means. Ananias explained the gospel to Saul, and Saul put his faith in Jesus in Damas at Damascus that day. Converted a Pharisee to a Christ follower. Converted a man who wanted to do everything by the rules, everything by the book, all of it by the law. And converted him to someone who said, it's better to live everything by grace, to live my life completely by God's grace. Paul tells us when he first put his faith in Christ, he didn't consult with anybody else to kind of find out, you know, what's the real story? He listened to Ananias, and then he went out to Arabia, long ways out in the desert, and he took scrolls with him. Apparently, he took all the scrolls of the, New, of the Old Testament, stuff he'd studied for his whole lifetime, and he went, it'll be okay, you guys. So, uh, so he goes out, and he, uh, he takes all these scrolls, and he restudies the whole Old Testament scripture trying to answer this question. What does the Bible say about Jesus as the Messiah in advance? 
And he studied all the scriptures that he'd read for his whole life, and he understood them in a new light, and he understood that the scriptures pointed straight to Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. He studied those things for three years. He went back up to Syria. Then, and then from there, he goes up to Jerusalem, and it says he spends 15 days with Cephas. That's the Aramaic name for Peter. So he goes to the apostle Peter. He spends 15 days with him. How would you like to spend 15 days with Peter just to talk to him about what it was like to be with Jesus? Would that be, would that be amazing? What would, you, what would you talk about? What would you ask if you got to spend 15 days with Peter? I'd be like, Peter, what was that whole walking on the water thing? You know, oh, maybe I wouldn't do that. You know, that'd be a little bit rude, right? But wouldn't it be amazing to sit there and talk to Peter and go, Peter, what was it like when Jesus healed your mother-in-law? I know some of your men, you're thinking melancholy. <laughs> Don't go there. No, so, so, I mean, what was that like? Or when, or, or... Peter, what was it like when you were sitting on that hillside up in Galilee and Jesus began to tell everybody in the Sermon on the Mount how heaven lived? How, what heaven lives like in this world? What was that like? And, and Peter, what was it like when, when uh, Jesus was teaching? And what was it like when Jesus was healing? What was it like when Jesus had enemies? What was that like? And he spent 15 days just listening to Peter tell his firsthand account of what it was like to live with Jesus. When he got done with that, he went back to the north. He went to a little town and settled in Antioch for a while, and there was a church there, and the church got together, and they prayed about it, and they asked Paul and his friend Barnabas and a few others if they would go on a real mission trip, not the kind where you hunt people down to kill them, but the kind where you actually go to bring them life. And they sent him on this mission trip into Galatia, this, this central region of Turkey, and there Paul was telling the story of Jesus and every time he was telling the story, as stories are prone to do, every time he was telling the story of Jesus, conflict came in. Because there will always be people who are opposed to the story of Jesus. And sometimes it's because they're rule keepers. And what happened in Galatia was Jesus was telling them, hey, you know, Jesus came and he, he wants to give you life. It's a free gift by grace, through faith. That's it, nothing else. And some Jewish teachers came along after that and they said, no, no, that's not how it goes. And they started adding works back into the gospel. Well, it got to be so hot of a contention that finally the apostles in Jerusalem recalled Paul and Barnabas. They said, you've got to come up. We've got to have a meeting. We've got to have a council about this. They called them up and they said, all right, you guys, lay out for us the gospel as you preach it. What do you, when you're traveling around the countryside telling people about Jesus, what are you telling them? Paul was a spokesman, so he spoke up and he said, you know, we, we tell them uh, that, that God loves people so much that he sent his only son to die for them, to give his life for them. And if they would believe in him, they would have everlasting life by grace, through faith, nothing else. And Peter and James and John kind of sat around, talked about it with some of the other leaders, and they said, hey, that's the same gospel we tell. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. They said, you guys go keep doing it. And they sent him back up to the, to the north, and they said, keep doing that. So after that, sometime, Paul writes this letter to the Galatians and says, here's my story. This is what has been happening in us. And in that letter where he writes back to the Galatians to clarify the gospel, he writes this little verse in chapter 2, verse 20. It's a verse that people memorize, a verse that Christ followers have memorized over the years because they go, in this verse, you've got a summary of the gospel. But in this verse, you also have Paul's statement of his own life story 
in 41 words. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Paul's life in 41 words. Now, there's nothing magic about 41. He wrote it in Greek, and in Greek, it's 33. So just full disclosure, 41 is a little arbitrary. If you live in the modern world, you could do it in 140 characters if you wanted, but that shortens it down even a little bit further. You could tweet it, but, you know, it's a little shorter. I got to thinking about this last winter when I'm getting ready for this series, and I came across Galatians 2.20 again, which I memorized sometime back in high school or college. I don't know. I came to that verse, and I'm like, how powerful would it be if every Christ follower in the world, or at least every Christ follower at Lakeside Church, could tell their faith story in 41 words? Again, there's nothing magic about 41. You could do it in 42. But, you know, there's a little bit of, there's a, little bit of a disciplined process that gets you down to 41 where you've got to say, what words matter? What part of my story matters so much that it has to be in this thing? And what would happen if every Christ follower among us was able to tell our faith story in 41 words? We've been telling you about this whole idea of oikos. And I know some of you are like, I don't want to hear that. It's like, that's, what this, that's how Jesus did it. That's how he sent his disciples into the world. It's fascinating that in Paul's autobiography, he says Peter was called to the Jews. He said they were, he, they were, he was called to the circumcised. So we'll just call those Jews. We won't really go down that road very far. So he says, Peter, he was called to the people that he was like. That was his oikos. Paul says, I was called to the people that I wasn't really like. I was called to give the gospel to the Gentiles. But that was my oikos. And every one of us has this group that God has placed us in the midst of. And many of them don't yet know Jesus. They don't yet trust or follow or love Jesus. And God has put us right smack in the middle of them for us to tell them our story. I already talked to someone this weekend who said, I was telling my story to someone else. I was, I was right in the middle of telling our faith story, but, but I was at an event. We were at an event together, and the event started, and I got cut off, and I couldn't finish. If I would have had my story in 41 words, I would have got it out. 41 words is short enough for you to, when you're going out to get your garbage the next morning and your neighbor goes at the same time, you can tell them your 41-word story before you get back to your house. 41 words is short enough, so if you, if you meet your neighbor at the mailbox, you could tell him your 41-word story at the mailbox. It's short enough if you're walking down the hall at work to the cafeteria, you've got enough time to tell your 41-word story of faith. Paul's 41-word story of faith. I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That story originally changed the lives of dozens of people. And then it changed the lives of hundreds of people. And then thousands of people. And today there are nearly 2 billion people who claim to be followers of Jesus on this planet, largely because of the story of this man. When Jesus Christ called you to follow him, he didn't just call you to follow him for your benefit. It is for your benefit, but that's not all it's about. It is also for the benefit of the world around you. 
God called us to be followers of Jesus to change the world one person at a time, one oikos, one network at a time. And we look at that and we go like, that's too big. How, how could we change the whole world? Yeah, he goes, yeah, but let's just make it smaller. Let's make it your household, your network, your oikos. And what would happen if you learned how to tell your story in 41 words? Now, to do it, you got to figure out how. So I, I sat down. I thought, I can't, make, I can't make them do it, or I can't even ask them to do it unless I figure out how to do this, right? And so I, I know my story pretty well, which you probably know your story pretty well. You just haven't maybe thought about it so clearly. So I, just, I sat down and thought, how do you write a 41-word story of faith? And here's what I did. I just, on my computer, I just started listing key phrases of stuff that had happened in my life that demonstrated my 41 or my, my story of faith, that's it. Not, I'm not down to 41 yet. I just started, you know, listing some of these key phrases. Here are the phrases. These are the exact phrases I wrote down. Christian family. That was true of me. May not be true of you. Neighbors invited me to vacation Bible school. Friend invited me to read the Bible. Story of redemption. Called to transformation. That's what I wrote down. I thought, yeah, that's, that's, a pretty good, that's a pretty good framework for what my story is about. And then I thought, okay, that's not, that's not enough. I've got to write it down as a story. It's not just a bunch of disconnected words. If you just gave your friends a bunch of disconnected words, they would scratch their head and go, are you all right? <laughs> so give them a story. And here's what I wrote down when I got to my 41. And I've been editing this for the last three weeks. And I just edited it yesterday before I came down to do the Saturday gatherings. I think I've got it where, where it says what I want to say. Here's my 41-word story of faith. I grew up in church, but didn't get it. My neighbors loved Jesus and invited me to meet him. My friend loved the Bible and invited me to read it. I heard Jesus loved me. Now... I follow him by faith. I think my faith story is not what people expect from me. I'm kind of the happy-go-lucky, do-well-in-school type of person, and my faith story is just so different from that. I think I remember as a child when we were in Dallas, uh, there was a point where the school was shut down because a tornado funnel cloud was coming and they had us up against the wall with our heads down and the kid next to me was crying and I remember just thinking it'll be okay Christ is going to protect us so it's it's because of a reality that was ingrained by my mom and early on that I think it's it's been part of my life I haven't been one to really share my faith story um Really, I just—I really didn't think it was one because I've been around so many people who have such dramatic faith stories, and I just kind of felt like I was just this little puttering engine. It was just like, okay, there's nothing. I didn't feel special about it. So the the exercise that we're asked to do is based on Galatians 2:20, where Paul told his faith story in 41 words, and we've been challenged to tell our faith story in 41 words. 
For me, writing this story had a few different steps. Uh, the first for me was to write out about three pages worth of my life, essentially, and how God had played his role in my life. And then from there, I narrowed it down to bullet points. Once you start thinking about the story, you realize how much God has done. And it was very easy. You almost thought initially, oh my gosh, I can write a book. You know, it was like, this will never end. And so then you're thinking, okay, let's just get the important details. I started to think about where my faith comes from, both where it came from, from knowledge base, where it was introduced, and where I find it resonates the most. I realized that stories are, are so helpful because it gives people so much hope because they can see themselves in them or they can relate to something about it and it gives them hope for their future and their relationship with Jesus. I think knowing your faith story is important because it allows you to communicate to others. And just this exercise of thinking of my own faith story, I've, I've had to really find where my faith story comes from. My faith story in 41 words. Jesus, my Savior, seeking, God protecting me, Jesus calling me, God giving me a hunger for his word, the Holy Spirit revealing who God is and who I am, transforming, praying, serving, fellowship. Isn't there more? Accepting Jesus as my Lord. Fear kept me from God. Fear of life without control. I became severely depressed, anxious, lost within my own paranoid mind. Reluctantly, I let go. God then showed me his plan, a purpose greater than anything I could have hoped for. My faith is built on Christ's love, love introduced by my mother's love, rekindled by my wife's love, reinforced by the miracle of children and their love. I know Christ through my love and the love of others who What's your story? 41 words. 41 is not magic. But the words might change your world. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to take it as an assignment from church today. I want you to take the next seven days between now and next Sunday morning. And I want you to write your 41-word faith story. It might not be perfect by next weekend. Mine, I think it's close to where I want it now, but it's taken me a few edits, and that's fine. But between now and next Sunday, I want you to write your 41-word faith story, and then I want you to tell it to somebody. Tell it to your spouse. Tell it to your small group. Tell it to your friend. Tell it to someone in your neighborhood. Post it on Facebook. Won't fit on Twitter. <laughs> It'll fit on Facebook. And put hashtag 41 words, because then we can all look at them together. You just search in hashtag 41 words, and we'll look at them together. What would happen if all of the Christ followers at Lakeside Church could tell their story of faith in Christ in 41 words? And then we began to share that with people around us. 
Don't you think that would start to change the world? Jesus, I pray for us today with that in mind, that you would use us for the purpose you called us to change this world. Lord, the love that you gave to us that moved you to give your life for us, that kind of love, if it were spoken and then practiced in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in this city, in this region, it would change this place. And I pray that I pray that, that would be so. Lord, for my friends in the family room, for my friends in this room, I pray you would give us the grace and the discipline and the diligence to sit down and to rehearse our story and then to write it down. And may it shape us and may it shape this world as we live it out. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.